my me time has to be devoted to becoming a better person. This is not why I signed up for existence. Sorry. You don't get to choose when you're born. And uh, the times of men that you evolve into a right you. Evolving shouldn't mean... Yeah, I guess it does. For everybody, it means like more reading and stuff. Oh, God. Yeah, self-improvement. I can't right? even. I can't even. It's such a heavy burden. Yeah. The cost. The It's not an equivalent exchange. Full Metal Alchemist lied. I don't think they did. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. <laughs> They're probably right on the money. Welcome to Everyone Sucks Here, episode three. It's just the third one. It is. <laughs> uh, I mean, I feel like we got something accomplished. Uh, so, okay, we'll, we'll start this intro over. <clears throat> Welcome <laughs> to the world of tomorrow. Just kidding. We're, we we are doing something for the first time when every, everyone sucks here. Uh, we talk to another person besides each other. Woo! Uh, and we already know how that interview went. And it was good. We Yeah, it was good. Uh, and we thought it would be a funny bit to joke that we were from the future, but immediately... We're explaining jokes now. Yeah, we're explaining our bits, damn it. Oh, and all this out. Fuck it! <laughs> we'll do it live. We'll do it live! We'll do it live. Do it live. Anyways, just in um, typical Everyone Sucks Here format, we want to start off by catching up on the state of the world. Yes. Uh, today's date is August 4th, 2020. Dude, it's, the year is almost over. Is it? Is this when you start considering it almost over? Yeah, it's I guess It's more than so. halfway. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, what? Honestly, I know people keep saying this, but, like, what is time anyways? Uh, I think if 2020 has shown us anything, it is nothing. <laughs> it, it is a meaningless construct, I think, mostly created to let people win and win not to go to work. I think I think there are, are, are some people who sort of, uh, whatever, everyone's all across the spectrum on this, but some people, you know couldn't manage the pandemic so well and then for other people it happened in like dog years of just sort of like gotta step up gotta yeah. level up here it is yeah. the opportunity you you wanted the zombie apocalypse you wanted all this shit well guess what you're just getting a whack-ass disease yeah and like let's see what you do with it <laughs> i don't think people are ready i have been talking to people who i feel like are still on like phase one of pandemic life they're like oh, yeah wow. i just got in house plants and like i'm doing yoga and it's like hmm, hmm. hmm. yeah i was doing that in march when i thought everything was still gonna be just like you know Stay inside until everything cools out. But. Yeah, honestly, I feel like I've. Uh, <laughs> I'm so glad I, have, I didn't like buy property uh, out of boredom, <laughs> you know? Because, like, I already feel like I've accomplished everything I needed to do within my pandemic time. And now I'm just like, okay, what's well, so all that's left? The world's still burning? Yep. Okay, let's deal with that now. Now it's revolution time. Yeah, I was a part time revolutionary. Now I'm just like kidding. three quarters time. Just get, Oh, it is revolutionary time, but uh, we're not in a revolution. I just want to make that clear. Oh, we and we know that because it hasn't been televised. Oh, it's not going to be televised, they say. Yeah, no. Is it though? Because like everyone's no. got phones and stuff like well, that. Well, yeah, so. I guess it'll be live streamed, tweeted. Perhaps. The revolution will be live streamed. Doesn't sound as cool. Check my Twitch account. Yeah. Oh, Twitch. Yeah, Twitch will probably be a really good format for the revolution. I mean, they don't even let people smoke sick or talk about smoking cigarettes. Also, a good on point. There. <laughs> now that the government has banned TikTok. Is, did it happen? Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Was this like hours ago or like no, yesterday? No, I think it was like yesterday. I think maybe you could still use it, but it's definitely going through. Oh, I don't have it? TikTok. 
TikTok people leave it in the comments. No, no, I'm 35 years old. I don't, I can't have Man, TikTok. I, I will let people repost the funnier things and then I'll just keep it moving. Yeah, there is a level of commitment to TikTok and production value that I just do not have in me as an old man. Sure, 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 sure. So, I mean, I think people are already, because Snapchat News tells me that people are already, like, transitioning over to another app in, in preparation for TikTok dying. Probably. And yeah. it's, it's probably, I guess, going to be in a minute. So we'll what's the deal with, like, Microsoft? I thought they were going to uh, acquire oh, yeah, it. Was it not fast enough? They actually, well, they might have bought it, but they might have, like, severed it from, like, um, like, the Chinese version of TikTok. Oh. Yeah. TikTok America. I don't know if you knew this, Jerome. Oh. But we're in Cold War 2. Ooh, wait. The, that was like the rush for technology and stuff? I guess that's a component I, of it. Literally, here's yeah. how much I know about the Cold War. Well, that. all right. Well, this all falls into our general state of the world. Um, okay. So the U.S. is definitely like ratcheting up uh, some pretty aggressive lingo against China. I mean, you know, with the China virus, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But... You know, this is a thing that the United States does typically when it wants to sort of detract uh, and distract Mm. attention from the uh, current raging dumpster fire that is our own country. So, you know, we're not even going to indulge it. We're not going to get into that shit right now. We're going to talk about what's going on in the United States uh, and all the fucking shit that that entails. Okay. So, let's see. Last week we mentioned the arrival of the secret police. That was just last week. Yeah, right? Yeesh. In Portland. Well, as predicted, they have expanded their scope of operations. Oh. And there have been reported uh, uh, sightings and like encounters with these un- unmarked, uh, masked-up, tactical gear-wearing uh, Gestapo agents in Chicago, D.C., and New York City. Um, and it has become common knowledge more so that who they are working for. And that is the uh, Department of Homeland Security. You remember them? I know there was a show, Homeland. Wait, these these dudes popped up after 9-11, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, they were were kind of created uh, maybe predating 9-11, but really given, like, the the big bucks in Mm. terms of, like, operational funding and, like, technology and gear Mm. after 9-11. Unlike other sort of intelligence... um, you know, apparatus of the United States, they don't have, like, a mandate, really. What a mandate being... So, like, let's see, the Secret Service is there to, like, protect the president and actually also find, like, counterfeiters, I think. Like, that's their purview, right? Hmm. Uh, Obviously, border security is to guard the border. That's their mandate. That's what they do. FBI investigates uh, criminals. Yeah, and inspectors. Yeah, yeah, federal body inspectors. (laughs) They go to the (laughs) beach. No, the FBI uh, takes care of domestic crime, and the CIA is like international intelligence uh, and a bunch of other heinous shit, which is another like series of episodes, probably. But the Department of Homeland Security uh, is there to protect. the, the homeland. homeland. Whatever that fuck that means, right? Unlike all of those other organizations, which are kind of like separate from, you know, the legislative and executive bodies that operate kind of independently and have, therefore, are supposed to be impervious to political control. Okay. The Department of Homeland Security is essentially at the behest of 
the executive office, aka the president. So AKA it's like his, his secret police. Donnie Deals is secret police. Jeez, this is really the daily we were talking about. Yeah, Damn. yeah, because compared to Avatar, which I'm assuming most of our fan base listens to. I mean, if you've gotten to episode three and you haven't like seen all three seasons of Avatar: yeah. The Last Airbender, you're lacking. It's on Netflix. You have no excuse. You and no we're gonna excuse. just keep referencing this. You shit. might as well know. You might as well watch it. Anyway, uh, so yeah, the daily, but uh, the Department of Homeland Security is basically a private sort of paramilitary force for the president um and who no can one, stop them uh the president which is like alarming because uh, i think i don't think they're under control of, of uh anybody else other than the executive office they're at their like behest the mm. department of justice might obviously have some ability to curtail their activity and rein them in but at this current department of justice is run by william barr who has kind of like proven himself to be a Trump loyalist and just does what the president wants. Can, can, I, I'm seeing like uh, mayors speaking up like, we won't allow this in our city. Can they actually nope. do anything about they it? They can't do anything about it. That's the thing. Like uh, the, these, these agency, this agency is at, you know, is again under control of the executive office. So like they, they don't have to listen to anybody else. There's no chain of command on the state or local level. Uh, that can impel these guys to do anything. And the sad thing is, is like as much as uh, you know, some of these local mayors are speaking out and being like, we don't want these guys here. If they show up, we're going to like press charges on them and shit. The police unions of these cities are like saying, nope, come on in. We, we, we want you to beat up on these people. We want sure, you to fucking sure. fight Yeah, we'd rather you guys do it and all the direction anger get pointed towards you for like 10 seconds. They yeah. Just a little bit of somebody to share the punishment. Yeah, I, I think that's... That, probably a component of it i would really reckon that like um it's really just to scare everybody uh mm. like literal terror tactics and like you know maybe always sort of in that like sort of like diet coke fascist way that the united states does it where it's like a soft expression of authoritarian power not mm. always in all cases but like in stuff like this uh people are being just like dragged off the streets in the unmarked cars you know uh, in front of their friends with no explanation of why. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems that most of these people are just being like briefly interrogated uh, and in sort of attempts to, you know, maybe a counterintelligence sort of gathering mission. Um, and then they'll just like let go. And then some of them are like, you know, then serves papers like later uh, mm. about, you know, potential crimes that they might have committed. But Jeez. these DHS agents are not always charging people, but they are, you know, taking them off the streets for like extended periods of time with no context for any of their comrades, which is, I don't know if you've seen videos of it, but it's, no, it's really frightening. It's stressing. Um, the, I don't, why is there a part of my brain? I guess the part of my brain that's like reckless and stuff like that. That's just like, yo, if they took me, I would just like be quiet. I would just like, I would just like not even resist and just let them like, there's, that doesn't even make sense. Does it? I, I think, I think if like, you know, an unknown masked dude, like, just grabs you. Like, I think human nature is to resist. Like, you're going to kick and scream. You're not going to want to get thrown into a van. Like, those things look like kidnappings. And mm-hmm. I mean, essentially, they are. So, like, I don't know. Maybe it is, like, a terror tactic to just get us to the point where, like, if some masked guy in a balaclava and, like, a tactical vest grabs you, you just submit. Who knows? I don't know. I've heard a bunch of theories like Trump is literally just doing this for fucking like uh, re-election campaign like ad footage of him being like tough on Antifa and protesters and shit like that. That's probably like the most cynical version of Mm -hmm. it. Uh, Another version of it is that they are just literally testing out 
these tactics because they realize that counterinsurgency within the United States is probably going to have to be like a domestic policy if material conditions keep deteriorating, which they probably will because... 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 Oh, because you, you got a pandemic going on? It's a I'm so stupid in my head. I'm just thinking, I'm just like, well, because you still go to stores and you don't see stuff on shelves that much. Yeah, but you know? Re- you know, the reason why. Because of we. Oh, yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's the reason why everything is messed up right now. Yeah, because like, I think I said this on the very first episode, maybe. I've definitely said this to you in private, but like, COVID is just a damage multiplier, like in Dungeons and Dragons, dude. It's like Gross. a curse. Okay. It's thrown over you, and then any other attack that hits you is like. Times three damage, times five damage, whatever. Oh, that's such a... Oh, I was going to say it's a cool way to think about it, but that's uncool. Yeah, it's a very uncool thing, but my metaphor is dope. Oh, it's very dope. Yeah, that's yeah, right. what got me all excited. So, that, that being said, like, we're now we're looking at, like, um, the expiration of a lot of, like, eviction moratoriums. So, like, people... But that crisis is still just steamrolling. Have we, have we seen anything happen yes. from that? In New Orleans, it's getting particularly bad. Uh, some places where the, uh, the, the protections, like, expired in, like, mid-July as opposed to, like, August. Like, Pennsylvania, where we live, mm. is, is, I think, good until the end of August, okay. right? But then there's no planned protections after that. And obviously, the pandemic's not going to end at the end of August. So, like, again, same questions, right? And that's all we keep seeing, really, from our government is just these, like, Best case scenario, these like stop measures for mm-hmm. like just two months down the line, three months down the line, uh, four months down the line. Uh, and then worst case scenario, they're just like, fuck you, fuck you out on the streets. Like we're collecting that money. We're going to pay the landlord class. We're going to keep this shit intact. Uh, or, you know, some fucking like big fish capitalist property, like holding entity, you know, like a big, like one of those big realty companies that like rents out like apartment condominiums like JJ like Land in Pittsburgh or yeah, something yeah JJ Land Walnut Capital Wiley mm. Holdings are ones in the local ones here mm. uh, they'll just you know consolidate more so like all the little landlords that have to sell their houses go you know out of business because they don't have any rent tenants that can pay rent those properties will just be acquired by a bigger fish which will make that fish even bigger and then you know consolidate capital in the hands of even fewer people which is again Something that we're seeing across the board in nearly every enterprise. Uh, just a reminder, I think we'll do this maybe once an episode. Jeff Bezos is going to be a trillionaire, probably already is a trillionaire, and has achieved that level of wealth because of the pandemic. So, yeah. So it's so it's really important for us to find a cure. Yeah, but who knows when that's going to be coming. And also, who knows like when shit's going to calm down because... Let's just let's just be real here, Jerome. Mm-hmm. Really real. The United States is my prediction. Doom and gloom. I know. I love it. We are never, never going to get a fucking grip on this virus in terms of control, management, testing, treatment. Never. You heard it first. Get never. ready. It is never going to happen. Get ready for your life to be uh, PC post Corona. You know. Yeah. That's- yeah. That's it. You're, you are going to be seeing waves like this, like that are rippling across the country in varying sectors, mm. uh, pretty much probably for the next year and a half. Like every single worst case scenario that the World Health Organization presented to us, we are living up to. It is it like it is truly idiocracy level, like mm. America, like we're, we're edging into. Mm. Like, yeah, we're going to start watering our soy fields with Gatorade pretty soon, man. It's like. 
Rondo's got what plants crave. It's got electrolytes. <laughs> you never saw the Yeah, I mean, like a long time ago. Uh, well, I don't like to hype that movie up too, too much, but I mean, like because. Well, I mean, it's kind of a pessimistic worldview, right? But you don't want to. Like, I mean, if it's coming to fruition, yeah. and sort would it sort of be preparing us? Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> maybe I, you know, like the Matrix. I, yeah, as much as I don't want to admit that the you know the creative beeps and butthead was like right. <laughs> well, you love your you love your uh, King of the Hill, I do, so yeah, yeah. He's got he's done some things I right. Guess Mike Judge does have the vision and office space. Now that you know all about the uh, fiery state of the world, we're going to uh, lighten the mood a little bit with, like, you know, talks about beautiful things of humanity, like poetry and... Sex. Sex and prison abolition. Three things that we should all aspire to in life. So, without further ado, here is our very first ever guest interview with poet Danny Janae. All right. So now we're here with Danny Janae. Brian, you have listed all these wonderful credits here. What we got here? Uh, we have a poet and a writer for autostraddle.com, as well as the host for the podcast, which I haven't listened to because I'm a bad host, but Jerome has. The Fig Widow cast, which has like a wonderful intro music. Uh, every time I listen to it, like I find myself dancing a little bit. Uh, nice. It's really nice. Um, so yeah, how, how, how's it going? How are you? I'm doing good. I got my negative COVID results back today, so I feel pretty good. Yeah. What was the story behind that? Yeah. I work for a bank and feel conflicted about that in like general, but I got exposed there by another coworker. Um, and so I had been on quarantine for like the last month waiting to get my results back. That's how long it took? It took like two weeks to get them back. So technically you just know that you were COVID negative two weeks ago, really? Yeah. Have you had, have you just been like re-quarantining since then? Yeah, pretty much. And just kind of like monitoring yourself? Yeah, definitely. You have a, you have a thermometer? Oh, no, I don't, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, I lost it in a move. <laughs> so, uh, so this is really only our third episode and we're still trying to get the groove down, but I know that we didn't want to go too long with just two, our two like cis voices uh, hanging around, like just two dudes yeah. uh, talking. Too much rah, rah, rah and about class and stuff. Right. <laughs> and so I wanted to get somebody on that uh, I've just been excited to follow. You do poetry and I don't really find myself seeking it out too much, but I do enjoy having it being read to me. And that's like a really nice feature of your podcast is that it, uh, it even just gives me the time to listen to something that I wouldn't normally. So tell me a little bit about how you came to poetry and your background there. Yeah, it started a long time ago. I was in elementary school um, and I had an art teacher actually who was very interested in poetry and she would make us do these little poems and then we would cut them up into strips and make like decorations out of them, like Christmas uh, tree bulbs and stuff like that. And I just remember being really moved by this ability to say what I needed to say in like this form that was like short and concise and just very powerful in one little go. And I like that because I was always just a very like chill, quiet, nervous kid. And I didn't really talk to anybody ever until I started like writing poems and like finding my own voice in that way. So that's how I came to it. I didn't really start getting published or like reading my poems to other people until about like two or three years ago and started taking it seriously around then after I like graduated college and like moved back to Pittsburgh do you also write prose? I do. I write a little bit of like creative nonfiction. I've tried to do fiction, but I can't really 
I don't think I have the mind for it. It's really difficult to do fiction. What do you find uh, that poetry can express differently as opposed to like prose? Mm. I think poetry can express abstract emotion in a way that prose can, but it's more difficult to do in prose, at least for me. Like, I think you can play around with language way more in poetry than you can in any other form and do like make up words and, you know, play with punctuation and these rules of grammar that are so rigid. But I know a lot of poets from like history and like current contemporary poets that play around with that stuff and allow themselves to like break the rules a little bit. Do you like to play around with like syntax? Yeah, for sure. Cool. You find that adds to the poem and helps convey different messages? For sure. Definitely. Uh, What kind of themes do you like to address with your poetry? I've recently been writing a lot about addiction and race. I used to write a lot about growing up in Pittsburgh and Garfield and like the things that I saw there and sort of like the struggles of that neighborhood. Um, I haven't really written about it in a little bit. I'm working on a book right now that's about like addiction issues. So I haven't really written about anything else in a long time. Did you see a lot or, or were you around a good amount of addiction? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Um, it was like in my family, but also in the streets of just like, you know, getting ready for school and like going out on our front porch and like watching drug deals and like people ODing and stuff like that happened a lot. I uh, I have to say, uh, I'm not not from Pittsburgh. I've moved around a bunch and it wasn't until just last summer I was doing a, a teen workshop at the library. Uh, on the north side, and uh, we were in a conference room, but the conference room had glass windows, and it was facing toward the inside of the library, and so the teens are all looking at us with their backs facing the main library, and I'm seeing, like, cops come in, and they're, like, sort of, like, poking at somebody or whatever, and then they're just, like, sort of uh, gently escorting the body, the person, I mean, you're still alive, or gently escorting them out, and I'm like, wait a second, this this kind of stuff just like happens and, and and everybody just seems so like, it seems so normalized around here. Like this person just OD'd in the library and they're just kind of like, oh yeah, you know, this is just the thing that's happening. And, and, and to me, you know, like I said, I was just shocked, but nobody else seemed to be too phased by it. Yeah. From what I understand, it's a pretty common occurrence. Libraries being open to the public. Anybody can just go in and a warm bathroom there is an easier place to shoot up than out in an alley somewhere, I'd imagine. So in connection, so we're like, I'm sure Jerome has told you, we're a, a, a pro-socialist podcast. And yeah. We try to advocate for that stuff a lot. Uh, historically speaking, um, poetry and, you know, socialist revolutions in the 20th century have kind of had a lot of correlation, uh, in particular uh, in the case of Cuba. But I was just wondering what your thoughts maybe were about, like, perhaps like the revolutionary potential of poetry. Like what kind of uh, pro-people, pro, you know, anti-capitalist, anti-imperialist, anti-racist like content poetry is capable of delivering and like how effective you think it is today. Yeah, I think poetry has a very revolutionary history. I feel like in the United States, it's not so much thought about here as much as it is abroad in other places like Cuba. I know a lot of South American poets and people like that that have like had the long history of like fighting against injustice in their work. And like in poetry, we talk about a lot about this act of like bearing witness and like being witnesses to the things that are happening in our worlds and you know documenting that stuff and I think that that's one of the potentials of poetry is to be like documentaries of these things that are happening in our worlds but also for me like poetry 
really lights a fire. I think that it can inspire a lot of growth and change. And I, I know that I used to go to a lot of protests in Pittsburgh. And usually at everyone, we'd always have like a poet there, like usually a spoken word poet there to like rally the crowd and get everybody hyped up along with like speakers and people like that. So basically lay sort of a theoretical, but also an emotional ground to get people more excited about the work that they're doing. I think poetry can really bring those words together and also just like the written word in general of like theory and emotion and bringing them together as, as opposed to like thinking that everything has to be either emotional or logical. Wow, I I, uh, I haven't certainly haven't been to every protest in Pittsburgh this uh, past I don't know protest cycle whatever you want to call it, but I do feel like there is a little bit of that element missing of somebody there with some sort of prose. I have I haven't heard anybody sort of like offer that as as just sort of like you know just to, just to bolster people's energy a little that, bit more. There was that guy. We were at the protest when they took the Southside Bridge, the Birmingham Bridge. There was a guy who did a spoken word poem. Oh, did he? Yeah, he did. Okay, yeah. I guess that's my response that to poetry. Was, that was <laughs> definitely a component. Yeah, I'm the poetry guy. Uh, Jerome, Jerome wanted to talk about like all the sex stuff. <laughs> so that's how we kind of divided the tasks here. Yeah, there, there was a spoken word poet on that bridge who was part of the speaking uh, that happened while we were holding it for that time. Oh, shout out to you, whomever that was. I remember it, and uh, and I think he was affiliated with One Hood. And I'm, I'm not you know what? Okay, you're right. I do know now that you said that he's with one hood and yes it was effective yes. i did feel myself just being like yes this person they can speak with a tone and a cadence and then and uh he knows his words and it's hitting everything is hitting the way that it's supposed to and and like i don't know i also think these people need to start coming up with some chants you know yeah uh, yeah poets should be writing chants like that should be like, yeah for sure like a task for them or something <laughs> definitely so we had reached out to you initially and asked if uh, what, what sort of things that you considered yourself an expert on, uh, poetry being one of them, but also uh, uh, being a slut was another one of them. How's, how's that working out for you during the pandemic? Oh, yeah. oh my God. I was, lo- I was loving the time of Corona for you. For the past, like, three, four months, it's been um, a dry. Um, <laughs> just because I've been, safe. like, <laughs> I've been so cautious because I, you know, I was at the at a, at a time going to work every single day and like riding the bus and, um, you know, going grocery shopping and being interfacing with the public a lot. Um, and I didn't want to put anybody else in danger. So I was just like, when I wasn't at work, I was basically by myself and I've been by mm-hmm. myself for the past month. So, um, I just was like, I need to, you know, buckle down and like deal with my horny emotions and just like chill. But now that I'm like negative, I'm now like, that she got that negative yeah, reading. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Some half measures to be taken, you know, yeah. try to balance that out. Man, uh, you know, I've, I've been talking to people on and off here, nothing, nothing serious, but uh, one person that I was talking to, they went on vacation this past weekend to North Carolina, and then uh, they got back. We were supposed to like, hang out on Monday. They were just like, oh, I'm not feeling so great. And I'm just like, oh, oh, no. oh really? Oh, really? Did you go fucking traveling around and now you're not feeling so great? I'm just like, all right, I guess I'll see you in a month or never. I don't know. I don't care. Right or never. It's coronavirus. That person might not be around. Yeah, it's been rough. So as a person who's interested in being a slut, uh, are you also interested in like, maybe the corona's effects on like sex workers because they're an average in terms of like economic displacement and like zero protection from the american state yeah Uh, and also like they seem to be just finding more and more ways to deny them 
work or revenue. Yeah, Taking exactly. Back page, censoring the internet, getting that shit off Craigslist, like all that kind of stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, Most of the people that I know that do sex work are strippers. And I know that a lot of them have gotten really creative out of, you know, necessity to like do stuff on their OnlyFans or do stuff on their Instagram. And I heard that OnlyFans is trying to like move away from being like a sex work platform. Stop it. No, come on. Stop it. Nobody knows them for anything but that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like when they took porn off a Tumblr. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Watch that place tank like crazy. That's what? So then what are, what options are left then? Yeah, with Backpage gone, no more Craigslist, Instagram's no longer allowing nudity. I know that I find myself, uh, while I'm on Pornhub, uh, if I see a profile that I like, I check to see if they have, like, a OnlyFans or something like that. So, I don't know, maybe people will just continue to have to, like, have profiles there, but then, like, outsource their stuff everywhere else. Yeah, for sure. That's what I think they're going to have to do. It's, like, a shame that, like, all these accessories are being deplatformed and, you know, people are so shameful and like conservative around sex when it's just like you know it's another job right uh so i guess ideal society for you how would you like to see like sex work and sex industry organized i'd like to see the organization in the hands of the actual workers who know what they need and know what they need to be safe primarily and like to make their money in a way that is not tied up in like You know, like a lot of my friends that are strippers have to do pay club fees and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. where it should be just money going into their hands and not having to, like, go through these third-party middlemen bullshit stuff. So direct control, essentially. The means of production for them, which is, in this case, their bodies and their sexuality. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's... So we, in order to, like, sort of prepare for this talk, uh, sometimes we like to look back at, like, 20th century socialist history... Yeah. Uh, for these kind of like comparisons, see if we could find any um, you know precedents to point to, and the the closest one that we found was uh, in Cuba. So after the collapse of the Soviet Union, uh, Cuba went through uh, economic crisis because they lost their primary trade partner, and prostitution, which has already been sort of quasi legal in Cuba since the colonial days, even was allowed to flourish once again as part of the tourist industry that they had to reintroduce. Mm. But pimping was illegal. And, like, the women could could go to make this decision to become a prostitute on their own free will, like, free of coercion, uh, with, like, state assets in the background, such as, like, healthcare, rehabilitation for drug addiction, and all that kind of stuff um, available to them should any of them want to do something else. That's cool. Yeah. That's... I think that's still, generally speaking, the way it, is, it operates in Cuba currently. That's awesome. Because they rely on, on tourism very heavily. But we don't have, they don't have a lot of other examples to point to, unfortunately. But that's, like, probably the closest one. I feel like Cuba has such a, like, progressive history. But growing up in the U.S., you always hear about dirty communists and, like, people that, mm-hmm. you know, their, their citizens have to stand in bread lines and all this other shit, you know? Well, you, Brian found us uh, another example of like, you know, how progressive the, they actually ended up being. Yeah. So socialism uh, approaches its mistakes, like socialist countries approach their mistakes in a way different way than like capitalism does, which is almost in a sense to not acknowledge them unless they can find a way to directly profit off of it. So Cuba being post-revolution is like a 55 year old state. Uh, and they have gotten like increasingly progressive uh, towards like LGBTQ rights mm-hmm. uh, in, in Cuba to the extent where like uh, I think you can you can uh, get state sponsored and state subsidized like sexual reassignment surgery. You can legally change your gender without sexual reassignment. 
and they're pushing for same-sex marriage recognition by the state but it wasn't too much of an issue in Cuba before that because if you were married or if you were single you still had the exact same rights oh okay that's dope yeah it's just kind of like again towards this attitude of how socialist countries address these problems Fidel Castro like personally admitted in um, the early 2000s that he was wrong for the original persecution of homosexuals in the 60s, like immediately post-revolution. Because mm. like there's this tendency where they associate uh, homosexuality as uh, like a capitalist kind of like decadence, which is obviously because <laughs> it's. I mean, anytime you put uh, homosexuality and decadence together, I'm yeah. like, well, I don't know, it's not too far off. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, would, I guess that was the attitude of some Cubans at the time, but uh, they had, you know, approached these sort of issues like scientifically. And in 1979, they put the Ministry of Culture put out uh, a new like unit team to investigate uh, homosexuality, found that it was just a variation of sexual orientation and that, you know, any oppression against it was counter-revolutionary. So that's the official stance in Cuba now. Damn. And have they closed their borders to us yet? Uh, we have closed our borders to them once again. I think we're, I think Trump reversed, uh, some of the policies that Obama laid out where we could like go there and visit and now we're no longer allowed to. Oh. All right. Well, it's yeah. off the table. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so one thing that, uh, you did, uh, we asked you if there's anything that you wanted to talk about in detail a little bit was, uh, prison abolition. Yeah. Um, so why is that so close to you, to your heart or anything? Yeah, I think just because of, like, the nature of the way that I grew up um, and the neighborhood I grew up in, I just, like, am so interested in prison abolition uh, because I have, you know, family members that are in prison. I have friends that have been to prison. For me personally, I, uh, when we talk about prison abolition, I feel like people are always like, well, where are we going to put the bad people and think that, you know, that siphoning away this huge population of people is somehow keeping us safer when it isn't. You know, there's still police that, you know, kill unarmed black people. There's still rampant crime that could be prevented if people had what they need to live happily and healthily. Mm. But we don't. And we think that, you know, these people that are in the prisons are like rapists and murderers when I think like a very small percentage of people that are rapists are in prison. And I don't even think that like rapists should necessarily be in prison. And I say that as a survivor myself and someone who has been through the whole process of taking my offender to court, I think that rape victims get used as like a theoretical, like, oh, what are we gonna do about people in prisons if the rapists are set free, but like no one's protecting us anyway. So like, what is the disconnect? You know, what is the issue? And I feel like that gets used as a talking point a lot recently with like talks around defunding the police and abolishing the police. So I just wanted to talk about that because it's like super close to my heart in a lot of different ways. And I just think it's really interesting. Yeah, it's a topic that's kind of like dominating the discourse right now, the abolition of police. Uh, like liberals seem to think that's like a step too far while more like leftist type people are really pushing for it. Um, yeah. But I guess the question that everyone is sort of asking is like, how is that accomplished? And yeah. uh, what does it look like? So I'm a Marxist-Leninist, and there is a theory for that within Marxist-Leninism, but I'm more interested in hearing like y'all's takes on like how you would envision it. Like if you were if you were making these policies and setting these goals, like what does it look like to you? What is the uh, the impetus for that kind of change? And like what does that shift look like? Because there's got to be some form of justice, right? Still in, yeah. in society. Yeah, that's the, yeah, that's there's also uh, the people who do like it get let out, and you end up finding. Uh, that they're, the situations that they were put in there for aren't uh, substantiated. Well, how do we sort of compensate those people also? Yeah, you know? for sure. So the, I think there's 
a lot of emphasis on the difference between like punitive justice, where it's like about punishment, uh, putting someone away, and in, in the case of the American prison system, like largely just putting them away to steal their labor. Uh, yeah. from either through coercion or like you know really hyper exploitative wages like five cents an hour or something like that mm. um and in socialist countries there's more focused on on rehabilitative uh, sort of justice and like correcting the problem uh, like you were talking about like through the socioeconomic issues that it, they connect to like people's access to material yeah. goods like whether or not they have a place to live or whether or not they have access to healthcare, education and jobs Brian and I were talking about that a little bit. I like to, we like to have like a little pre-show wrap so I don't go on the show completely not knowing what I'm talking about. And, you know, you very easily were just able to just talk about the fact that like people whose uh, normal conditions aren't being met, you know, are the ones who are in these systems and then they're not able to get out because stuff just keeps stacking up against them one after another. There was a story about, yeah. um, Brian had found this this uh, anecdote. Reading a book called Carceral Capitalism by a professor out of Harvard named Jackie Wang, oh. and she just she just uh, is really talking about the way that the role of the state has shifted as its only means of generating revenue is just basically to turn its citizens into batteries, and like they can kind of force that income out of them through uh, almost like Kafka esque like fine processes. So this is a story about a man named Tom Barrett from Georgia who was arrested in 2012 for stealing a can of beer. When Barrett appeared in court, he was offered the services of a court-appointed attorney for an $80 fee. Barrett refused to pay and pled no contest to a shoplifting charge. The court then sentenced Barrett to a $200 fine plus a year of probation. Barrett's probation terms required him to wear an alcohol monitoring bracelet, even though Barrett's sentence did not require him to stop drinking alcohol. And the bracelets would thus detect the alcohol Barrett chose to drink with no consequences. He would, so like, effectively doing nothing. He was ordered to either rent this bracelet or go to jail. The bracelet cost Barrett a $50 startup fee, a $39 monthly service fee, and a $12 daily usage fee. Though Barrett's $200 fine went to the city, all of these other fees went to a private company known as Sentinel Offender Services. And then uh, the story with him goes on is that eventually those fees got so high that he couldn't pay it and they put him in jail. Holy shit. Yeah. So like the the alternative from a, a ML perspective is just like, it's all about transitioning society so that the rights of like the working class people are, are front and center. Cause I think we can acknowledge now that the way prisons and the police are set up is that they're in the service of the ruling class. Right? Yeah, for sure. So the idea is that prisons and police don't go away in like a socialist state, but they're now in the control and in the service of the working class. So like the people who go to jail are like, you know, exploitative capitalist type people, like counter-revolutionary type people. Like Jeff Bezos would be in jail. The guy that, went, that go, the dude who was part of that pharmaceutical company that basically like invented Oxycontin and then got the entire country hooked on it would be in jail. Like those are, because those are the enemies of the working class. So yeah. it's a transitional phase through Marxist-Leninism, but like there are other theories about how prison abolishment could and, and And for the people who aren't like the high, high level stuff, we're just talking about, uh, uh, we, you and I talked about a little bit last night. Uh, yes, ideally, if everybody's material condi conditions were met, then there would be a lot less, you know, theft and, 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 and these kinds of things or whatever. But like, what about... Um, I just hate to say it. Just like, what about like deep psychological problems and stuff like that? Like, yeah. is is that what we 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 build social programs instead of like jails to house and and, and facilitate these people? I guess that that would be the ideal, right? Is if we're looking with uh, crimes as a result of mental illness or crimes as like as a result of like you know what they call crimes of passion, 
um, there should be a focus on rehabilitative justice in those senses, right? Yeah, uh, sure. re- Re-education. Something other than just sticking a person in a box and forgetting about them. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, they talk about the fact that there's more than enough houses in the United States. There's more houses than people. Uh, I think it would be easy. Why is it like a, such a big deal when people talk about like, well, who's going to take care of these people? It's just like, okay, well, then you just make the jobs for that. We have the wealth to do it. Just- you have the wealth. You have the, the, the places. Now you staff somebody in a place that houses all these people that need help instead of them being in jail. And they'll, they'll essentially be doing the same thing uh, of, of just like they're there. Well, it's not the same thing if they go to regular jails, they're there to be like slaves. Uh, in these places, they were hopefully actually be re- rehabilitation of some kind. Yeah, definitely. So what, what sort of prison abolition theories like that you've seen, you've come across that you find yourself like personally resonating with? I think that the one that resonates the most with me is the one that we've been talking about, um, which is like the rehabilitation one. And also, like, I think that there's a lot to be said for like community care and like people taking care of each other, which can be done through um, what Jerome was talking about of like, if we uh, have these empty houses, we turn them into rehabilitation centers and make jobs for people who are in these communities to help their, you know, their neighbors, essentially. If they have the skills and the means to do that, then that's a program of like addressing these issues that I'm interested in, of like giving people the tools that they need to help each other. Because it's like, what we're doing now is obviously not working. I forget the um, the correct word for it, but like uh, the rate at which people enter prison and then like are released and then go back because of um, oh, yeah, I think recidivism. Yes, thank you. Yeah, that sort of thing that happens will just continue if things are like on the path that they are now. So I feel like you know even people with you know these deep psychological issues have needs that need to be met, mostly like intensive therapy and probably medication as well and a lot of times they can't get those things because of um they don't have the money. lack of health care and things like that yeah exactly yeah and then there's just the, the quality of life for someone who is like post-incarceration right they're disenfranchised yeah. they no longer have the access to vote uh it's almost impossible to find housing and a job when you have a felony uh charge on your record like life just becomes increasingly difficult so the rate of recidivism becomes extremely high because in order to make ends meet, you know, you go to what you know, and in this particular case, it might have been crime. Yeah, you know? exactly. So do you, uh, can you kind of buy the notion that if people's material conditions are, like, more, like, provided for, that petty crime, nonviolent crime would generally decrease? I think so. That's what I believe. I think that a lot of crime is, like, crime of necessity. Um, yeah. Of just, like, I need to eat. I need to have my kids taken care of. I need my medication, I need all this stuff, you know, and it's just not being met by our government or people that are in control. So you have to do whatever you can to get what you need. Um, And people turn to like things that are often nonviolent crime or even sometimes violent crime of like, you know, armed robberies and stuff like that. Yeah, it's just like, I really truly believe that if people had their needs met in that way, that crime would decrease a lot. Do you think this sort of like uh, compassionate worldview is informed by the fact that you're a poet? I think so. Like a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I believe that. Yeah, poets, are, you know, they're sensitive people. They, yeah. they only got the uh, the plight of humanity close to their heart. Right? Exactly. 
Well, I mean, it's probably a good thing that I hang out with uh, poets because they need uh, a little bit more, <laughs> like, whatever it is we, you guys got. Yeah, the U.S. needs more poets in general. We need more poets. Yeah. How, yeah, how do you feel about the state of, like, poetry in the United States, like, right now as a whole? Like, as a creative medium, I feel like there's sort of been, like, a dip Yeah. in, inter- in both interest and publication. Right now, it's really weird because I know a lot of really awesome small presses are, like, shutting down because of COVID. I think that if you're in, like, the poetry community, you know a lot of really great, awesome poets, and, you know, you buy their books and you read their work and go to their shows. Um, But if you're not in the community, then a lot of people don't necessarily do that. When I started doing, like, my readings and stuff like that, I was an act in a lineup of shows that featured, like, drag queens and uh, pole dancers and stuff like that. So it would be like me opening up with poems and then um, someone doing pole work or someone doing a drag number or someone doing um, (laughs) like a hip hop number. Um, It was just really cool to like have that variety of, of art together in one place. I think that right now poets are like, poets in the US at least are, they're putting out a lot of really great work but not seeing a lot of mainstream attention and accolades, I guess I would yeah. say. You know, you have your poets that are like famous, but I think the general audiences are like turned off to poetry because they think it's like this like bourgeois art form. Mm. Yeah, well, that's interesting, especially given the you know what we know about poetry's role in socialist revolutions in the past yeah. that, might have a, a, that has a bourgeois association with now. I mean, poetry speak like historically speaking was sort of like, um, especially in like the Middle East and like Persian cultures, where it's like, like really yeah. big and like kind of an art form, was one of the primary ways of like conveying like information or like recording like historical events. Someone would write a poem about it, and then everybody would write yeah. a poem, and they know what happened at like a battle or something. Um, so yeah, it is kind of it is kind of interesting that in the at least the Western maybe American imagination that poetry is for like rich decadent people. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So how how do you think how do you think the working class like maybe reclaims its hold on poetry? Mm. More working class poets. Yeah, more working class <laughs> poets. I think that also, I think that universities, in some way, have like a claim on poetry and poets in a manner that I think is like not healthy or helpful you know there's like this pipeline of like you get your undergrad you go and do your mfa sometimes you might go and do a phd in poetry and then start teaching and then become like sort of famous in that way and then the cycle repeats itself of just like the only way to succeed in poetry is to have all these degrees and i think that keeps people away from it but if people were presented with alternate pathways of like um you know doing slam or like just doing on the ground, like poetry readings that aren't necessarily um, connected to universities and colleges, I think that we could reclaim it in that way. Yeah, so more poets at protests. Yeah, absolutely. Especially the uh, poets of, of of the youth; they're the ones that are, they've been uh, leading us lately. Oh, um, yeah. And all these protests, I would be amazed to see what they have to come up with. Uh, I don't know. I'm always interested in capturing the, the minds young and stuff like that and so, so you know any anybody who has an interest in 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 
hip hop or, or any kind of like lyrical form or whatever. Like I feel like those, I don't know that that's, that's one small way to just get people right there is like, if you can write song lyrics and you're doing poetry essentially, right? Yes. I'm so fucking over it. I don't need your sadness uh, clouding up my fucking good Gemini vibes. I just can't have that this shit. This man ignores like one half of all music. Lyrics just go right through his Somebody, ears. I'll be in a car playing a song for somebody. They'll be like, isn't this so good? And they're just like, Jerome, this is so sad. I'm like, is it? I don't know. The beat, the beat, the beat's up. The beat, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I feel like that's the only way that I've survived this long is just by like really just blocking out everybody else's emotions. Because as soon as I start letting that stuff in, like uh, Brian knows that I'm sort of like I might be like emotionally dead most of the time, whatever. But I am this this conduit that if you like feed, if you put a cannonball in me and then and, and light the shit, I will go off. So like yeah. you just have to find the right size thing to put inside me to get me to go off, uh, and then I'll fucking do it. Whatever. But most of the time, I'm just like trying to just block out every, everything around me. Mm-hmm. I, I think what we're saying is that you should write poetry, Jerome. Ooh. Oh, I love haikus. I mean, if I could, if I could just do everything in haiku form, I'd absolutely be, I'd have one for you every single day. I promise. I like haikus as well. Yeah. I, like a lot of haikus. I love haikus. I haven't written yeah. them in a long time, but I think that short poems like that are so like hard to write, but also can really pack a punch and deliver in like a really hardcore way that longer poems sometimes can't. Right. With a haiku, you got to, like, make it count. Like, mm-hmm. every, every syllable, literally. I think haikus were are, are perfect for, like, the Twitter generation, for, like, first-generation first Twitter, where you had, like, oh, 156 yeah. characters. Mm-hmm. And so people who are used to working with confines and just like, okay, yeah, 575, got it, no problem. Exactly. So uh, you're going to leave us um, with a little something. Before we go, can we get uh, find out how the people can reach you? What are your social contacts? Yeah, for sure. My Twitter is at FigWidow. That's at F-I-G-W-I-D-O-W. I fr- forgot how to spell widow for a second. <laughs> um, and then my Twitter is BellBibDeHo. That's Bell and then Dot and then Biv, B-I-V. And then another period, and then Daho, D A H O E. And then my website. Oh, thank you. (laughs) And my website is um, figwidow.com. So you can check out stuff that I write there as well. And the podcast. Yeah, podcast too. Which I didn't find out about till yesterday. So it's his fault that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so I have a poem for y'all. I wrote this poem probably about two years ago, and it got published by this magazine called Slush Pile. And it's about Anton Rose Jr., so um, Mm. it's for him. It's called Black Death, after Federico Garcia Lorca. Sometimes my breath is a tulip of fear, dark hue of bruise, skin like a plum, so sweet the world surrenders its jaw to the flesh. I see hung ghost in the spit. All night, the sirens howling like sick wolves, one answering the other. A boy, sweet as a plum, sleeps now for centuries. The dusk of his name deters all light. Every day I walk outside and erect my body for violence. The air is merciless. I howl too. And that's it.
Ooh. <laughs> Poetry class. Oof. Man, jeez. <laughs> absolutely. That's a really good poem. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, thank you very much. Well, this, is, this has been uh, lovely to have you. Thanks for being yeah. our first guest. Our first yeah, guest no problem. All right, we're back. Um, that was a cool interview. I'm glad we were able to do that. Hopefully, uh, based on the technology we use, we can have some more guests and maybe even some people outside of Pittsburgh. Uh, yeah. Um, all around the world. All around the world. So right now is we're going to get to this point where where we try to get fence Jerome off the fence and on the socialism side a little bit more. Um, trying to radicalize you, buddy. Just trying to radicalize me. I'm, I'm always just asking, like, so what's the difference between what we understand like a liberal to be and like the socialist sort of uh, attitude on XYZ. I don't know, man. You tell me, like, what is your experience as a, a gay man living in the United States? Like, what do you think? What do you think you got here that other countries don't have? Like, what do you, I don't know. What is it like? I mean, as soon as you start uh, listing stuff, we were, we were talking about. So now I guess I can serve in the military. That was something that had to be one. Um, but, uh, trans people are not allowed. Um, you asked me about adoption, super hard in most places to happen. I don't even, I I can't even speak to whether it's, uh, impossible for some people, whatever, but it's not impossible, uh, for some people. I mean, Anderson Cooper can do it. Um, but I don't know if I can. Yeah. What about Um, workplace discrimination? Oh, didn't we just fight to win that? Didn't oh, we, yeah. just, we just just fucking got that, that in, in 2020? 2020. Okay, right. So it seems like as I guess what is that a result of um, the Republicans being in the House, or did we have the chances to secure these things as liberals and we haven't? And then if so, why not? Um. Well, I guess that ruling was like you know I think I think some of the Trump appointee judges like sided on that favor. Gorsuch maybe. Maybe not Kavanaugh. But regardless, one important little catch-all that I want to just point out there, right, is that, like, all it did was say that your employer couldn't explicitly fire you. Sure. Um, But in America, we still have something called at-will employment. Right. So your employer just has to change the reason. He can still fire you. Sure, sure, sure. Right? He just has to be a little bit more clever about it. Yeah, it just has to, you know, say that that it's not that. Sure, sure. Yeah, and then you have to prove that. So, uh, also, I don't know, I, I'm pretty sure there's like maybe 14 or 12 states in the United, in the country still where like sodomy is illegal under any circumstances. It's, okay. All right. <laughs> Which like, you know, cause the federal government says it's okay, uh, kind of means nothing uh, unless you, you know, a fucking cop somewhere in Alabama mm-hmm. <laughs> wants to give you a really like hard time, right? Mm-hmm. Then they have the legal grounds to do so. You got to go to jail, and then you appeal it, and then that you have to like sit in jail while that appeal process happens. And uh, then the federal government is like, "What are you talking about? This is not a problem." Like, let him go. And so uh, I'm guessing that the chances aren't very high. What are the chances that Biden comes in office and is just like, "Hey, there's a bunch of stuff that." Uh, we didn't address before and yeah. let's get it all cleaned up. Like look at all these stupid laws that are still on the books here mm-hmm. in these states. Uh, probably pretty unlikely because, you know, the they have, like, because of the design of the United States, there's mm-hmm. like no real way of sort of enforcing that uniform policy. Uh, Under 
this capitalist system we have. Yeah, capitalism doesn't help, but this is just like uh, the kind of like semi-autonomous nature of the states in the United, in the United States. Like mm. they can do sort of whatever they want, which is why the COVID response has also been kind of so shitty. Yeah. Because like a state in Ohio can respond to it completely differently than like Georgia. Okay. And uh, the federal government has no means of enforcing it like mandatory abort, which a lot of people think is good. But when you deal with situations like this, mm-hmm. and maybe when you deal with situations like discrimination is not so good right because like before the i think it was 2015 when the the supreme court said the gay marriage was okay mm-hmm. but you remember it used to be like only a couple states sure. and every other states like if you moved from a state where gay marriage was legal to another state where it wasn't like it wouldn't even recognize your marriage my god uh, yeah yeah wow right you remember all that shit it was not shit. that long ago, it really right? wasn't yeah so, like, I don't know. That kind of sounds shitty. And obviously we've seen with, like, Trump, it depends on who comes into office. Like, you can just lose those rights, like, depending on the president. Because trans people were allowed to serve in the military. And then he was like, nope, never mind. So, like, that's not a very secure system no. to me for, like, ending oppression. Especially when capitalism is factored in. And, like the profit incentive gets introduced. Like when you start asking yourself that question, it's like who stands to make money off this shit? Yikes. Like you can imagine. I mean, you say that, uh, those aren't questions I know to ask myself, but maybe going forward, those are things that I should be asking. I mean, like it's, I think, I think it's a question everyone should be asking, right? Like that's kind of explains like a lot of motivations for the shitty things that happen in life. Right. If you're making money off it, like Mm. you can look the other way on a lot of stuff. Some people, I mean, I guess the you you're talking about is well, I'm a general person, maybe who just wants money because they know that that's power. I don't know, like, who does it like that's a Freudian thing, right? Like, everybody has an appeal to power, they want to like feel powerful in some kind of way. Mm-hmm. But capitalism is just a system that like enables those like the worst ambitions to power that exist. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. So, 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 um, we got a little off topic here, whatever, but what we wanted to sort of bring this back to uh, a little bit in the episode we talked about Cuba and I've always only heard like you know pretty shitted things about places like that and their attitude towards homosexuality and stuff so uh, shed some light on that defend it yeah I can uh, I can try I, um, so like look, look name of the pod is everyone sucks here right so mm-hmm. like we're gonna we're gonna be honest in our appraisal of this kind of shit and we're gonna like you know we're not gonna pull our punches just because they're our faves right so Cuba is uh, a socialist country uh, and post-revolutionary period, which happened in 1965. And when you, uh, so, so gosh, these like things like post-revolutionary period roll off of your tongue. But uh, <laughs> for people who, when I hear that, it just goes over my head. What are you talking about? Okay, I'll just give like the immediate context. So before the the socialist revolution in Cuba, right, there was a dictator in charge named Fuego Batista, mm-hmm. and. Um, or Fuenco, something like it. Batista is the name. And he was like a U.S. supported sort of like strongman figure who pretty much just let Cuba operate as like a uh, raw sugar producer for like American sugar company. Okay. Uh, and like the mafia was like had a high presence in Cuba, which is another little interesting tidbit in history where it just sort of like used it as its own private casino hmm. and like. Um, like way station for its alcohol smuggling business like back in the 20s um but like fidel castro like identified like you know the repressive um 
government of deputies had installed in Cuba, which was like murdering people, torturing people, like uh, kidnapping people off the streets, like silencing political dissidents, like like real bad stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, doesn't sound too much far off from where we are right now. Yes. Yeah. Certainly. Uh, yeah, certainly. Well, I mean, maybe, I don't know what's kind of going on in this country behind closed doors, but, like, Batista do some particularly gruesome things. They had some, like, they had this torture device, right, uh, where it was, like, something that was, like, strapped to your eyeballs and had needles mm-hmm. and a crank mm-hmm. that, like, as they were interrogating you, they would, like, kind of crank this thing until Ooh. the needle just went down further and further and oh, further boy. until it eventually pierced your eye. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. And then, yeah, Fidel Castro and his, you know, uh, revolution kicked all those guys out. Okay, so yeah. that's Point Castro. Yeah, Point Castro, right? So, uh, of course, the, this is where the mistakes come in uh, in regards to um, the revolutionary government's understanding of like homosexuality. Right? Yeah, they weren't. Let's, I'll just be real. They weren't kind to gay people. Mm. Uh, they were. They associated uh, homosexuality with a, um, a bourgeoisie sort of like mentality. Like it, mm. was, it was the result of capitalist decadence. Uh, so like having too much money makes you gay. Yeah, something like Some, that. Sometimes, yeah, like hedonistic. <laughs> you know, like mm. that. It was linked through those sort of like mentalities. Sure, sure. Uh, and therefore, they kind of viewed it as like counter-revolutionary. So like homosexuals were often persecuted, and it used to end up in like forced labor and re-education camps, along with other legitimate like counter-revolutionaries, mm-hmm. uh, which is a fucking problem, right? Uh, How do you put gays in labor camps? Like for what? Make it like I don't know. <laughs> you can't put me in a labor camp. Wait, That's what would crazy. you even do in a come labor on, camp? Come on, come on. How long would you? Oh, they get so mad at me for just like you, f- picking at grass and like have, doing cartwheels and shit. You, <laughs> this is you, gonna be soccer all over again. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. You have you have screamed at me for being too hot in my house, and uh, yeah. I'm, it, Sometimes it, it, it feels cool. like a personal attack when I walk into a room and it's not pre-cooled. I'll yeah, say that well, much. Well, it's not. You know, it's pretty hot in Cuba. Oh, shit. Okay. Right. So I don't think you would like it very much. And, like, that's not to make light of that situation at all. Uh, and, like, sort of, like, anti-gay persecution was, like, reached its zenith uh, in, in Cuba in 1971 uh, when it was, like, legitimately declared, like, counter-revolutionary and, like, protections and shit were, like, kind of revoked. Hmm. Uh, but the difference between socialism and, like, capitalism, right, is that capitalism it organizes things entirely based off the pursuit of profit right ooh, ooh. when we when we had a little pre-talk about this yeah. you asked me like what's my perception or whatever and i was just like uh you asked me about pride and i was just like oh fucking the we've just seen it in like 2019 sort of reached its peak of like the 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 uh capitalization oh, yes. of fucking pride Speak and stuff that. like that you know uh the fact that you look around and there's cop cars with pride stuff on yeah. it chase bank fucking we we support you blah 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 meanwhile if my gay ass calls up and it's just like hey can you take this you know uh uh, charge off my shit for like a withdrawal fee. They'd just be like, mm, "Sorry, we can't do that." And but, everybody yeah. that's worked at a bank has told me, "Yes, they can." Right. Yeah. Right. But did you get our rainbow flag credit card that we sent you? Oh, right, right, right. Just so you can remember that we support you, yeah. but like you know, but, so much. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So right. yeah. So like that. Obviously, not a good way to organize society. Socialism is, you know, in theory, supposed to be the antithesis of that. So it's like society organized for the benefit of social good socialism yes. blah 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 mm-hmm. uh so cuba uh had a court case that reached their people's supreme court which is like a democratically elected body unlike the united states where its members are just appointed by the president for life mm-hmm. uh and this supreme court ruled in favor of some uh gay artists who had been fired from their job 
uh, and demanded to be reinstated and recompensated for lost wages, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and the court ruled in favor of them. And acknowledging that ruling by the court, the Ministry of Culture in Cuba immediately created that year uh, a new unit to uh, scientifically and sociologically examine homosexuality. Hmm. Do we have one of those in America? Uh, I'm sh no, I don't know. Maybe in like recent years, but certainly not probably as early as that. I don't know. I, sure. To be honest, I don't really know. It probably differ. <laughs> it's probably something I should know. Yeah, probably <laughs> something maybe you should know, or maybe the fact that you haven't heard of it is indicative of that. Yeah, you know? that's or good with that. Or maybe there's like one in California, but not one in Montana. Like, um, who the fuck knows? Like, okay. the United States is such, like badly organized, as we've been saying over these last couple episodes. So, like... After that initial court ruling, it's just been reform up until, you know, 2019, where it's, it's come in, like, really quick in increments, considering how young Cuba is, like, socialist Cuba is as a country. Mm -hmm. it, you know, if the revolution was won in 65, it's only a 55-year-old country. Okay. As opposed to America, which is 244 years old. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're roughly kind of on pace with these sort of like developments. And there's like a reason for that. So just to run through the stats, all forms of discrimination against people based on sexual orientation and gender identity uh, in Cuba is outlawed. It's in the 2009, explicitly written so in the 2019 like constitution. If you are a trans person, as of 2008, you were able to apply for state-sponsored sexual reassignment surgery come like, on you could go access that beautiful cuban free health care and change your gender and the state would pay for it and in 2013 those rights were even extended further to you could legally change your gender without sexual reassignment surgery so you could just like if you didn't get there yet in your transition like you could just change your gender and have it, the state recognize it uh another thing that western critics like to throw back at cuba all the time is that um same-sex marriage still isn't recognized, although it technically is up for a vote, I think, coming very soon. Hmm. Uh, and that is a movement that's being led by Fidel Castro's niece. And one of the things that people don't really include in that criticism mm -hmm. is that in Cuba, married couples and single people have the exact same rights. Right. So the impetus... To get married is... It was not as important. Okay. Okay. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. I, I don't need the certificate of marriage. Sure. But people in Cuba that did want the certificate, like, you know, pressed the government until it was considered and is now up for a vote. And it seems like it, it's going to pass, like, given the way things are going. Yeah. Uh, another thing, just so I'm sure people will be Googling this afterwards, right, is that uh, the Cuban government canceled the 2019 Pride Parade. Mm. Uh, and that is a thing that you will find out when you do Google uh, LGBTQ rights in Cuba because it'll come up like priority search First thing, results. yeah. Mm. We all, you know, if you, if you watched or if you listened to the last episode, you know why that is, right? Cultural hegemony. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, right. Yeah. See, yeah, you're retaining. For sure. I'm, it's, it's all in there. Good educator. He's the best. Yeah. All right, anyway. So, like, there... I don't, I don't know the exact story, but, like... The official position from the Cuban government, right, was that uh, they did so for security reasons, hmm. which everybody can be like, oh, that's just like an authoritarian excuse, blah, 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 blah. But you're talking about a country whose greatest nemesis is 90 miles away. Uh, What's 90 miles away? The United States. No way. Yeah. We're its greatest enemy? Oh, because they're socialists yeah. and we're fucking like, you know, what we are. Yeah, exactly. That it's is. big capitalist hell beast. <laughs> that's what we are. Yeah, that's uh -huh. what it is. So, like... 
what what else was going on in May 2019? There was basically a kind of U.S. air quote sponsored coup going mm-hmm. on in Venezuela, which is like Cuba's biggest ally mm. in the region. So, like, put in the context, maybe it was legitimately for security. I don't know. I couldn't say. But I can say that all of those protections and guarantees still there. to rights still there. Right. So you don't get a you don't get a parade. You don't yeah. get a flashy thing. But at least maybe nobody bombed the parade. Yeah. Maybe or like you know maybe there's no like CIA spies like in, you know infiltrating anything like that. I mean like who the fuck knows? The CIA is a very crafty, almost fucking like Lex Luthor kind of evil organization who has done. Is that what it stands for? Crafty intelligence agency. Yeah, I mean, might as well. They're devious little pricks. Uh, So, like, and, like, rightfully so, maybe, like, the Cuban government is paranoid because of that. Uh, Mm. But who's to say? But all I do know is that... Fucking, so keep your nose out of shit, America. Yeah. And also level up. For sure, for sure. But, like, when we're talking about, like, solid guarantees, right, uh, about, like, ending what, what... Lenin referred to as special oppression, which mm-hmm. is like this idea that beyond the general exploitation and oppression that capitalism produces. As so, the, so uh, just um, there was we broke this down earlier. Okay, uh, so so you're working class, yeah, but then also, yeah, yeah, depending and this like manifests differently depending on like culture mm-hmm. and like historical norms and stuff like that. But in the United States, right, there's obviously special oppression for blacks. Yeah. In the United States, prior to maybe like 2015. I mean, you would think. Still ongoing. Yeah, there's special oppression for homosexuals, Uh right? On top of just the general exploitation and oppression of capitalism. Yes. Uh, So Leninism, in theory, is dedicated to ending all forms of oppression, Mm. right? And if socialism is this, like, way of organizing society that, like, kind of takes a scientific approach to addressing the ails of society, then, you know, it stands to reason that it's eventually going to uh, uncover the roots of all of these special oppressions Mm. and then remove them. If its stated goal is to end all of oppression, then that's like the only inevitable conclusion. There's no profit incentive standing in the way of that progress. There's no, like, private interest that can make money, like... Off of off of just attacking gay people. Like in the United States, think about mega churches that are specifically like anti-gay, mm-hmm. right? They probably make a lot of money pushing that hate. Oh, I'm sure they've merch got surrounding. Sure, it. they still have uh, uh, conversion therapy. And stuff yeah, like, that. like that's that's a profitable like industry that people run camps, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever the fuck, and it's all to appeal to this like niche demographic. That could be reached through re-education. And that's another fundamental difference between capitalism and socialism, right? Socialism seeks to correct the problems within a culture by re-educating people about these things. And Boy, like, is it an education. It is. Like you, I'm proud of you, but I felt <laughs> you're, you're bored as shit a lot. But, but No, no, no. It's great. Like, uh, you know, um, I... I, I I really do feel a strange like sense of hope, you know, yeah. um, more than I did before. Now that I'm learning more about this stuff, uh, it, even if the hope doesn't get me anywhere or whatever, I don't know. It's still just better than, than, than 
than just being like, yeah, I think it's over for humans. I think it's time to give up. I right. think it's just like, I think, I think there's no chance. Yeah. In that way, socialism is kind of like a beautiful alternative to nihilism. Yeah. Oh, gosh. When I latched on to nihilism in eighth grade, I thought I had just struck gold. I was like, yo, right. you mean I don't have to care about anything? Right. Sold. And that, and capitalism, to a certain extent, kind of embraces nihilism, right? So, like, if we don't have to care about anything, just like, I want this shit, so let me buy it. Give me, give me, give me. And, like, that's another thing that, like I was saying, like, stands in the way of social progress is because, like, capitalism will isolate these stupid ideas hmm. and then prop up what they call cottage industries around them to support them. So, like, flat earthers, for example. Real mm. fucking stupid idea, and mm. yet they still have, like, national conventions where they get to fly into, like, a hotel and all that kind of stuff. And, like, there's a market around it. Like, booths are set up in those conventions to sell flat earther gear, to flat earther people. And, like, we're just, like, walking around, like, letting these people believe that the earth is flat. Yeah. What, like, what does it say about me that I want to hook up with a flat earther? I don't know. What does it say about you? I just like to be able to look into somebody's eyes and just be like, you really, you really think this, don't you? There's yeah. something special about that. I don't know what kind <laughs> of weird power trip that is, but like, I just, yeah, who knows? The thrill of fucking someone like fundamentally stupider than you. Yeah. Oh. You could probably convince them all kinds of shit. <laughs> well, I think we'll Don't do that. We'll, no, no, that's not the vibe. Yeah. That's not the vibe at all. Yeah, we want to be gonna, we want to be uh hooking up with Pete and and being involved with people who are uh on our level or striving to be better than we're not punching down. Right. And we're not. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the point is that, you know, we we talk on this podcast a lot about this concept of cool world, right? Mm-hmm. Uh and mm-hmm. it's like the thing with socialism, again, being like this scientifically oriented approach to society, uh, we don't have to like, we don't have to repeat the mistakes of 20th century socialism, hmm. like culturally. And like, we are at a moment now where like everybody on the left generally understands that like, no matter what your gender identity is, no matter what your sexual orientation is, like you shouldn't be oppressed because of it. Right. So like that can be incorporated into our understanding of socialism as we work to dismantle like the capitalist exploitation and oppression that exists all around us as well as like the systemic racist ones that exist it's a good goal yeah it is a good goal like we we don't have to do it exactly like the soviets did or the cubans did or the chinese did like i'm still all about you know brian uh constantly asks me uh my opinions about like the psl and things like that or whatever and like Everything. Shout out to the comrades. Shout out to the comrades. (laughs) Everything about me is always just like, let's rebrand this bitch. Let's uh, let's figure out a way to make it fun and flashy and uh, get everybody on board. And I understand that rebranding is not always an option. So sometimes you just gotta uh, work within the existing framework. And then uh, I don't know, just do the work instead of trying to change everything around. (laughs) Yeah, do yeah, definitely do the work. And also like maybe we'll just call it cool world for the sake of the podcast for the time being. Yeah, yeah. This sounds a little better. It does. But so yeah, just cool world, guys. Like, no more oppression for anybody, based oh. for any stupid reason. Oh, that's so easy, right? I, I mean, like that's that. a good goal, and like you know, hitting that 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 dead horse theme of the podcast. How how are we gonna get there? Socialism. Yeah, boy. Yeah, boy. All right. Well, thank you, thank you for tuning in again. Uh, this has been Everyone Sucks Here. This has been. And we're out.